0: Thanks very much. It's my privilege to be here. And I'm going to start this session like I start all my conferences, by apologizing for my accent. Yeah, this is the way I sound. Sorry. You can laugh if you want to, but you try traveling all over the world sounding like this, okay? Three years ago, I got sent to Rochester, New York. The folks at AIG thought that was funny. The folks in Rochester thought Gomer Pyle had come to town. They didn't care what I said, they just wanted to hear me say it. Did you just say reckon? I reckon I did. But I ain't going to say it no more. I mean, it did, they just thought it was really funny, so I'm going to do the best I can. If I say something that you really completely don't understand, raise your hand and I'll do my best to translate it into like normal English if there is an equivalent. If people have heard of Answers in Genesis, they know about the Creation Museum, the thing they associate us with more than anything else are questions or issues about creation and evolution. And I do think that's fair because, you know, that's kind of what we're known for, you know, the Bill and I debate. Those are issues that we deal with a lot because they're very important in the church in this day and age. But what our ministry is about is really much more than that. What our ministry is about, is about standing on the authority of the Word of God. Is the Bible the infallible, inerrant word of the living God? Or is it a book of myths, fables, fairy tales? That's what it comes down to. One of the issues of the age, one of the main questions in the church in our modern scientific age is this. Should a Christian actually care about the book of Genesis? Does the book of Genesis have meaning to a Christian in our modern scientific society? Now, obviously, I would say yes. I mean, I work with a ministry called Answers in Genesis. I mean, we think it's very important. And if we're going to talk about the book of Genesis, we're going to talk about foundations. If the book of Genesis is really important, the most obvious place to start would be 1 Chronicles. And the children of... Yeah, you can laugh, but I'm having a good time. If you're not, it's on you, okay? I'm having a great time. And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times. I submit in this day and age, the church no longer has understanding of the times. Now, when I say church, I mean church in the global sense. I'm not talking about specific churches. I'm certainly not talking about this church. I praise God for churches like this that boldly, publicly, unashamedly stand on the authority of the Word of God. But I will tell you this directly. You're in the minority. The church that I attended as a teenager, the church where I was baptized when I was 17, the church where I served as deacon for three years has said publicly, Tommy is not welcome to come speak here. Because we don't want to hear anything about what they call that nonsense. You know the nonsense I teach and preach? It's simply this, God's word's true from the very first verse. Now why would a church care about that, right? Now is there a problem when the church compromises the authority of the word of God? Sure, I'll give you an example. 200 years ago, England was one of the great missionary nations. With its great ships, it took the gospel all over the world. Well, three years ago, I had the privilege of speaking in Northern Ireland and in England for about three weeks. And as I was touring these churches around that country, you know what I came to understand? In this day and age, that's a pagan culture. So how do you go from being one of the great missionary nations to being a pagan culture? Well, England was one of the first nations to openly call into question the authority, the reliability, the historicity of the Word of God. You want proof? Here's a church in England that's now a Sikh temple. Here's a church that's now a rock climbing center. Here's a church that's now a museum. A church that's now a theater. A church that's now an information center. A church that's now a bazaar. A church that's a habitat shop. A music shop. An off-license shop. A mission nightclub. A tattoo and piercing studio. Wow, that's where compromise gets you yeah but tommy that 's England, and, and, and they do things they 're really weird in England. They, they, you know they talk funnier than you do, and, and they still have a queen, and those people in England they actually have the audacity to play football with their feet. I mean, what are those people that they just don 't think right? I mean, those kind of things could never happen in America. You know after all, America 's the last great Christian nation. Our, our nation was founded on Christian principles. Things like that could never happen in America, right here 's a church in New Hampshire it 's now a museum here 's a church that 's now a town hall. Here's a church that's now a martial arts studio. A church that's now a music store. Psalm 113, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's a barn has a crack in its foundation. What's going to happen to this barn? Okay, folks, I'm giving you the easy questions, Okay. <laughs> I'll do the carbon 14, the radioactive decay stuff. I'll do the tough ones, I give you the easy ones. If you really get stumped, if you say ge- yes or genesis, you're gonna be right like 90% of the time. So I'm doing you a favor, you get the easy ones, I'll do the hard ones. Let's start again. Here's a barn has a crack in its foundation. What's gonna happen to this barn? It's gonna fall down. To- you see how easy these questions are? Usually some knucklehead yells out Genesis about this time. But nonetheless... But see, the same is true of Christianity. Every major doctrine in Christianity directly or indirectly finds its way back where? To Genesis. You want to understand sin? You have to start where? Genesis. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What are you talking about? Jesus died for our sins. We all need a Savior. That's about the stupidest thing I ever heard. No, no, no. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. No, don't you get it? We're all sinners. Hey, don't you get it? I'm a good person. You ever had that kind of conversation with people? Well, I've gone round and round with people about things like that. You know what the problem is? Most people out in the world, they think they're good. Darwin himself wrote about that. He says as evolution progresses, man's going to get closer and closer to what he calls perfection. Perfection. And there is a source of authority out in the world to convince people they're good. You know what that source of authority is? eBay. Yeah, anybody here ever shopped on eBay? Boy, I bought some priceless junk, I mean treasures on eBay. You go to eBay's policy page, it says this, we believe people are basically good. Now, I don't know who else is shopping on eBay, but the folks I know that shop on eBay are wretched sinners in need of a savior, particularly the one I see in the mirror every day. But see, you've got a problem. How do you convince people who think they're basically good that they're sinners in need of a Savior? You have to go back where? To Genesis. God created everything in how long? Six days. days. Looked at His creation and said it was what? When God says something's very good, how good is it? It's very good. Now, in this perfect, very good paradise, what did God give man and the animals to eat? Plants. Plants. Genesis 129 and 30. And God said, Behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. To every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I've given every green herb for meat. And it was so. In the beginning, man and the animals were vegetarian. Now, what did that mean? I mean Adam and Eve didn't have a barbecue. T-Rex didn't try to eat Adam and Eve. The lion didn't eat the lamb. In this perfect, very good paradise, we were originally vegetarian. What does that mean? It means there's no animal death in the garden. It's very important to understand that. In the beginning, plants only. Now, having said that, do I promote a vegetarian lifestyle? No, thank you. I do not. Would you like proof? Okay. Give you a wide-angle shot of that, okay? Any meal that does not involve ketchup and or A1 sauce is a waste of time. Do not bring me a plate of grass and say, here's food. Salad is not food. Salad means if you eat this, I will bring you food. Okay? it's like a promissory note for food i eat this i get food i'm going to show you the most important verse in all scripture this is my life verse genesis 9 3. every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you even as the green herb i've given you all things i thank god for genesis 9 3. otherwise i starve slapped to death now, that's worse than just starving. When you starve, slap to death, you've really starved to death. Okay? I'm a meat eater. However, in the beginning, plants only. We're not given the okay to eat meat till after the flood. Now, in this perfect, very good paradise, is God still in control? Is he still in authority? Sure. If he's in authority, are there rules? Yep. You know, be fruitful and multiply. There were things that we're supposed to do. But as it turns out, there was a don't. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt what? How serious, how significant is our sin in the face of a holy, righteous God? It makes us worthy of what? Death. This is the worst day in human history. This is where God's perfect paradise is broken. Who broke it? Oh, time out. Dang. Parentheses time. Now, this is not part of the talk. This is extra. So you can, in your notes, put this in parentheses. Because I heard somebody say Eve. I'm not going there. Okay. okay but this is parentheses. I have a wife and three daughters. At <laughs> my house, I'm not even allowed to suggest Eve did anything wrong. So you're not catching me in that adam because somebody will drop down. My wife always finds out. Okay. But who broke it? We did. They were the perfect representatives of humankind. They made the same choice we would have made. God, we don't like your rules. We don't like your authority. We want to live the way we want to live. You know what God said? Fine. But there's a consequence to that decision. Death is here. Now Adam and Eve have a problem. In this sinful state, can they have fellowship with a holy, righteous God? Nope. Is there anything of their own hands they can do to restore that fellowship? Nope. Nope. Did they try? Was this adequate? No. Was this comfortable? Was this poison ivy? <laughs> I say no because to this point nobody's given me a reason that would have been poison ivy in the garden, but nonetheless, we know this was not adequate. How do we know that? Hebrews 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. What had to happen? Sacrifice. Genesis 3.21. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. How do you get coats of skin? You have to have a dead animal or a very cooperative animal. There is no third choice. Adam and Eve clothed with coats of skin. The first animal sacrifice. Why are we sinners in need of a Savior? You have to go back where? You have to go back to Genesis. And I'm going to ask another question. And every time I ask this, I still can't believe I'm having to ask it. But it comes up all the time. Because I think if you'd asked me this question when I was, say, in the third grade, I would have gotten it right. But for some reason, the last decade or so, our culture, our society seems to just be continually struggling with this. I mean, it's struggling. Our our legislators are struggling with it. Our academics are struggling with it. Somehow we've lost our way. We can't seem to find a simple answer to what I thought was a very basic question. So I'm going to ask you, what is marriage? One man, one woman for life. Is that that like that? Where, where, Where do we get that? But you can't use Genesis. See, that's what most churches will tell you. Genesis is myth, fable, fairy tale. We now know enough to know what God meant as opposed to what he plainly said. Which, by the way, is the definition of arrogance. God, I know what you plainly told us, but we now know what you meant. Think about that. We know more than you, God. Here's an example. Guys, women, you can just sort of chill for a second. Guys, you'll get this example. I fly home Tuesday. I get home, my wife picks me up, go home. And, you know unload my garment bag and we sit down and we discuss and we're having a meal or something My wife and I are talking and she says Tommy Whatever she says X and I go. Okay, honey. I heard what you said This is what you meant Guys, you know where we're headed here Okay, it's called disaster, right? Okay. My wife says "A." Hey, my wife says this to me, this, A, Tommy, this. B, I reinterpret what my wife says. No matter what, C, is going to be ugly. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Now, the thing is, we can laugh about, you know, sort of reinterpret what your wife says. But think about this. Every time we tell God that man's smarter than him, every time we re- reinterpret what God plainly has written for us, what he's given us in his word, we're doing the same thing to God. God, we now know enough to know what you meant. And guess what? If you can throw out the book of Genesis, you can reinterpret marriage. I asked this question in a church a few months ago. I said, what is marriage? guy in the front row said, it's a union of two people. Is that the right answer? No. You know who gave me that answer? The pastor. I said, brother, we're going to have to extend our conference for a couple of days. You've got some serious issues going on here. Here's a question. Why do we wear clothes? I'm a doctor. I know why people wear clothes. I mean, I do not have to be convinced we live in a fallen, cursed world. I get it. Why do we wear clothes? God gave us clothes as a covering for sin. What about the seven-day week? What about the effects of the curse? Here's one. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Who's the last Adam? Jesus. There's the last of something. Doesn't it make sense? There's a... You read about the first Adam where? See, it all kind of fits together, Right? So, Tom, are you going to stand there? All those years of education, all that science background, all those letters after your name, you're going to stand there with all that scientific technical training and tell me Genesis is real history? That's exactly what I'm going to tell you. Genesis 1 to 11 is the true history of the world. But you know what you should do with my opinion, or Ken Ham's opinion, or Dr. Georgia Purdom's opinion, or Dr. Jason Lyle's opinion, or Dr. Andrew Snelling's opinion? You know what you should do with all those opinions? Just throw them out. Because why should you care what we think? But you know, I really and truly believe there are people in history who've earned the right to be heard. You know who said Genesis was history? Paul did. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, is by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Is that a true statement? You bet it is. My home church, we call that good preaching. My pastor, get a hold of that verse he'll go about four weeks on that one verse. By the time he gets done, we'd be so excited, we'd be throwing babies up in the air. That's good preaching, right there. <laughs> Can somebody relate this verse to the Book of Genesis for me? That one man was who? You read about Adam, where? So Paul, on the inspiration of God, said there was a one man who sinned to bring death. You read about that one man in Genesis. So if Genesis isn't real history, you know what Romans five twelve is? It's a lie. So if we thought the Book of Genesis, we thought the Book of Romans. We've got to disconnect. And I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to suggest to you that a proper understanding of the cross requires you to properly understand that verse. Oh, Tommy, you people to answers in Genesis, you're so rigid and you're so fundamental. You say that people who don't believe exactly like you do, they can't even be saved. They can't even be Christians. And, folks, there is a reason to believe that. Because Romans 10, 9 clearly says this. If, I, if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead... And believe in a young earth in six literal days, you'll be saved. That's in the new, new, revised standard version, by the way. Is that what it says? Of course not. Faith in Christ alone is what saves. It's never been our position as a salvation issue. I was a theistic evolutionist for 15 years. During that period of my life, I would have argued strongly that evolution and the Bible could go together. I knew all the intellectual arguments. I'm no more saved today than I was when I was 17. I'd like to think my understanding of Scripture is more mature. I have a more logical defense of the faith. It's not a salvation issue. It's an issue of biblical authority. And it really upsets people when I, when I tell them this, but there are going to be a lot of evolutionists in heaven. And there are going to be a lot of creationists in hell. You come to me and say, Tommy, I believe Genesis 1 to 11 is the true history of the world. That's great. But if you believe that and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, It's totally worthless. I don't travel around the world trying to convince people to be creationists. And that really surprises people. I don't care about that. What I want is to see the lost one to Jesus Christ. I want to call Christians in the church back to the authority of the Word of God. You get those two things right. The creationist part takes care of itself. This is not a salvation issue. It is an issue of biblical authority. And with things like this, the thing that continually, continually amazes me is how clearly the world seems to understand it and how much the church just doesn't get it. It becomes clear now the whole justification of Jesus' life and death is predicated on the existence of Adam and the forbidden fruit he and Eve ate. Without the original sin, who needs to be redeemed? Without Adam's fall into a life of constant sin, terminated by death, what purpose is there to Christianity? None. This is written by an atheist named Richard Bozart. He points out the following to the church. He says, church, you don't get it. Church, you're inconsistent. He says, church, you preach your Christ crucified and resurrected. And yeah, yeah, I read that Romans five twelve verse. He says, church, I also found this verse in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He says, church, you preach your Christ crucified and resurrected, but church, you accept evolution. He says, church, you're inconsistent. You know what that charge against the church is, by the way? It's absolutely correct. Richard Bozard points out the following. He says, if you don't believe the days in Genesis are real days, you must believe in the millions of years. If you believe in the millions of years, you must believe in evolution. If you believe in evolution, you must believe that man evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years. And church, if man evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years, you know what Adam and Eve are? They're a myth. He says, church, if Adam and Eve are a myth, there's no original sin. He says, church, if there's no original sin... Why did your Jesus go to the cross? How come the world gets it and the church doesn't? And let me say it one time, this is not a salvation issue. But what I'm saying to you directly and clearly is this. If the days in Genesis are not ordinary days, I challenge you to bring me the New Testament and tell me why Jesus went to the cross. You've got to disconnect. And I'm now going to show you the thing, at least in my opinion, in my experience, I'm going to show you the thing that more than any other causes people to doubt the Word of God. And I still, every time I show this, I'm still amazed, but, but I really honestly and truly think this is true. The thing that more than any other causes people to doubt the Word of God, rocks. I don't get it either. You see, I'm a life scientist guy. I like things that are squishy and you can dissect them and that kind of thing. Like, To me, there's nothing duller than rocks. Because you know what rocks do? Nothing. They sit there. It's a rock. It's a rock. You know what causes people to doubt the Bible? Rocks. You know why? Those rocks are obviously millions of years old. Anybody here been to the Grand Canyon? I've been to the Grand Canyon three times. And I'm just going to tell you, that's the deepest hole a boy from Tennessee ought to ever find himself in. (laughs) We don't have holes like that in Tennessee. But you go rafting down to Colorado, these geologists, and look at those rocks. You say, seriously, Tommy, your Bible's not true. See, those rocks, those rocks are obviously millions of years old. It's obvious. In matter of fact, not only is it obvious, we've done some tests on some of those rocks. Proof, those rocks are the proof that the Earth is hundreds of millions of years old. Your Bible's not true. Those rocks are obviously millions of years old. Now I want to ask you a simple question. What's obvious about those rocks? They're rocks. If anybody had to go, you've overthought it." OK? Yeah, these are simple questions. What's obvious? they're rocks. What does an old rock look like? Rock. What does a young rock look like? A rock. What's the difference between an old rock and a young rock? They're rocks! (laughs) Well, what the world says is these rock layers were laid down by slow processes over hundreds of millions of years. They are, in effect, the physical geologic proof that the earth is millions of years old. And most Christians accept that. And, Christian, if you accept that, you've got a huge problem. You know what your problem's called? It's called fossils. You know what you find in many of those rock layers? You find fossils. You know what fossils are? They're the remains of what? Dead things. To become a fossil, first thing you got to be is dead. The rest of it ain't too hard. You get dead, you get covered up, you become a fossil. So if the rock layers were laid down by slow processes over hundreds of millions of years, in many of these layers you'd find fossils which would then be the record of millions of years of what? Death. Oh, Adam is such a perfect world. Yes, Eve, it's very good like God said. Is that what God's word tells us? Yeah, pretty much. Is this what God's word means? See, after those six days, you know, God said day, but he meant millions of years. It's one of those kind of allegory things where he told you one thing, but he meant something else. You know, it's kind of one thing. So anyway, after those six days, he looked on everything he'd created and said it's very good, including all those rock layers and all those fossils. You know what you find in the fossil record? You find evidence of animals have eaten each other, animals have ripped each other up, bone disease, infectious disease, arthritis. We find fossil evidence of brain tumors. And the creator, God of the universe, called all that very good? I don't think so. And guess what? That's not even where your problem ends. If the millions of years are true, and we did evolve from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years, at some point during this process of evolving from apes to humans, we became human enough that God deemed us to be in his image. So think about this. The millions of years are true, and the following scenario happens. This is the millions of years are true. God turns to Adam and says this. Adam. Don't do that or you're gonna die. If the millions of years are true, what would Adam's logical response be? So what, I'm gonna die anyway. See, if death are already here, how could death be the punishment for man's disobedience? How could Christ's death on the cross be the atonement for our sin? You've gotta disconnect. Either God created in six days as a perfect creation where there was no death, or you know what's always been here? Death. If the millions of years are true, you know what's always been here? Death if evolution is true you know what is a requirement death evolution has been called the religion of death what is the process that makes evolution go Can anybody tell me survival of physics. and this is an easy concept you know strong creatures survive weak creatures fall by the wayside you know for example in Africa who lives longer fast gazelles or slow ones <laughs> slow ones become lunch see this is not hard See, the the, the process that drives evolution is death. You know what God's word says death is? It's an enemy. You've got to disconnect. You see, there was a time that the church built its thinking on God's word. Sadly, in the majority of cases in this day and age, the church builds its thinking on the fallible ideas of man. What's the problem? The church no longer has understanding of of the times. The issue is we've had generations of pastors and Sunday school teachers and Christian academics who've gone through colleges and seminaries where they're taught to take man's ideas and use them to reinterpret the Word of God. And after all why shouldn't we take evolution and use it to reinterpret the Word of God? Because evolution at its its core at its basis is a way to explain how we got here without God. It's a Godless philosophy. So why shouldn't we take a man-centered Godless philosophy and use it to reinterpret the Word of the Creator God? That just makes loads of sense. But that's what generations of pastors and Christian academics have been taught. And people tell me everywhere I travel, Tommy, that's not happening in our seminaries. We've surveyed the seminaries. It's happening in the majority of them. Here's just a simple example. I think that
1: if the data is overwhelming in favor favor of evolution to deny that reality will make us a cult uh, some odd group that's not really interacting with the real world it will I I mean and rightly so I mean we will uh, we're not we're not using our gifts nor trusting God's providence that brought us to this point of our awareness because i see all of history is in god's providence and i think we're at a unique moment in history Uh, so many strands are coming together we're on a uh, almost to my mind the pinnacle of history we're aware of these things and to deny the reality would be to deny the truth of God in the world and would be to deny truth. So I think it would be uh, our spiritual death uh, if we stopped uh, loving God with all of our minds and thinking about it. I think it's our spiritual death. It's uh, also our spiritual death in a witness to the world that we're not credible, that we are bigoted. We have a blind faith, and this is what we're accused of. So I see this all as part of the growth of the church. We are much more mature by this dialogue that we're having. And I think this is how we come to the unity of the faith, is that we wrestle with these issues. We're all in the body of Christ as one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we may disagree with one another, but we are really interacting in a very serious way, trusting God as truth, and that we are testing what is true and holding fast to that which is good. And we are the richer for it. And if we don't do that, we're going to die. And I think it's essential to us, we'll end up like some small sect somewhere that um, retain a certain dress or a certain language, and they end up marginalized, totally marginalized. And I think that would be a great tragedy for the church, for us to become marginalized in that way.
0: This is Bruce Walking, one of America's most celebrated theologians, one of the most well-known theologians. And you just heard him tell you this directly. If you take the creator God of the universe at his word, that makes you part of a cult. Well, guess what? If taking God at his word makes me part of a cult, I got one question. Where do I sign up? Because you got to take God's truth in the world, by which he means evolution, and you have to use it to help you reinterpret the Bible. Because if you don't do that, you're going to show the world that you have a blind faith. No, I don't. I work for a ministry called, what do we call you? Answers in Jesus. What do we do? Oh, yeah, we give people answers. I got lots of answers. I don't have blind faith, I have a sound logical defense of my faith. But he said if you don't take evolution and use it to reinterpret the Word of God, you're not going to be credible before man. I got another big question. Who cares? You'll be credible before man or credible before God? Now, I'm not saying you're not supposed to have answers. Do not get me wrong. But you don't take a a man-centered pagan philosophy and use it to reinterpret the word of the creator God and just to have the world accept you. You know, I've watched this clip, I don't know, several hundred times. Do you get the sense that this man, as brilliant as he is, is desperately trying to talk himself into believing what he's saying? It's like if he talks long enough, he's going to say something smart. I've seen that clip a hundred times, I ain't seen him say anything smart yet. But the point is he's trying to talk himself into it Because he wants you to take evolution and use it to reinterpret the Bible And after all that does make perfect sense I guess if you think about it Because if you're an evolutionist You come to some really strong theologic conclusions Like this one
1: the, um, This is something that, that, that I wrote a whole book about And someone asked me yesterday why I wrote that book Because it is the most poetic thing I know about the universe um, But the amazing thing is that every atom in your body Came from a star that exploded and the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded, because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution, were created at the beginning of time. They are created in the nuclear furnaces of stars, and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. Okay? And, and anyway, it great. forget
0: Jesus, the stars died so you could be here. And guess what, folks? If evolution's true, that's as good an explanation as any. But see, that's the kind of conclusion you come to if you accept evolution. And we want that kind of philosophy to help us understand the Word of God. And the thing is, that phrase about Jesus is not the part that upsets me about that clip. You know the thing that upsets me? The applause. That man's going all around the world convincing our young people that there is no God that cares. And at the same time, we've got Christian academics like Dr. Walkie saying we've got to take evolution and Christianity and put them together. Now, you know who says Dr. Walkie and people who believe that way are wrong? You know who says they're wrong? The evolutionists do.
1: And was there a particular point that, or something that you read or an experience you had that sort of said, yeah, this is it? God doesn't exist? Oh, well, by far the most important, I suppose, was understanding evolution. Um, I think the evangelical Christians have really sort of got it right in a way in seeing uh, evolution as the enemy, Um, whereas the more, what, what should we say? sophisticated theologians who are quite happy to live with evolution, I think they're deluded. I think the, I think the evangelicals have got it right uh, in that there really is a deep incompatibility between evolution and Christianity, and I think I realized that at the age of about 60.
0: This is Richard Dawkins, who I think can fairly be characterized as the world's leading spokesperson for evolution. He says these sophisticated theologians who try to put evolution and Christianity together, he says they're deluded. Now, I, I, I wish he had used another term. I don't, I, I'm that, that's the clip I've got. I regret to use that term because I would never use such a harsh term and apply it to Dr. Walkie. I would say mistaken or misguided. But nonetheless, you've got people like Dr. Walkie who says it's, it's absolute necessity that we put these two philosophies together. You've got the evolutionists that say they don't fit together. What's the problem? The church no longer has understanding of the times. And you know who sees all this conflict, all this turmoil? Our young people do. Barner's group, you know, the group that does all these Christian surveys, they did a survey a few years ago where they surveyed Christian young people. What they found out: seventy percent of young people growing up in Christian homes say they're not going to church when they don't have to. Lifeway uh, did a survey a few years ago. A few years after that, it's up to eighty percent. Some of our more recent day that you'll be hearing about the next year or so is higher than that. Sometimes we're approaching 90 to 92%. I've talked to pastors all over the country who tell me, Tommy, our young people are walking away in record numbers. What's the problem? Well, a couple of years ago, we published this book. It's called Already Gone. And along with Britt Beamer and America's Research Group, we surveyed 1,000 young people, ages 20 to 29, who don't go to church anymore, but did when they were young. And there were two issues, two questions we wanted addressed. When did you decide to walk away, and what was the reason you decided to walk away? If you'd asked us 10 years ago, when do our young people walk away from church, we would have said high school and college, you know, with their faiths being formally and intellectually challenged. What shocked us was this. In our survey, what we found out was by the end of middle school, 43% of those who walked away had already decided they were going to. Think of that. At that early age, they felt a disconnect between the church and the real world. The Bible's book of myths, fables, fairy tales, and I'm not going to participate in this when I don't have to. Now, to be fair, at that age, they're still coming, you know, because mom and daddy are dragging them. But statistically speaking, go to any church in America, line up all the young people down front, 80% of those young people are already gone. And folks, that doesn't, if that doesn't shock you, it, it should. The number one reason our young people walk away, and it's really kind of simple when you see the data, you kind of go, I kind of knew that. The number one reason our young people walked away, nobody answered my
2: This is Michelle who says I have three teenage boys and now two of them are questioning the Bible. This scares me. They tell me if the Bible is truth then I should be able to reasonably explain the existence of dinosaurs. This is just one of many things they question. Even my husband is agreeing with them. How do I explain things to them that the Bible doesn't cover? I'm so afraid that they're walking away from God. My biggest fear is to not have my children and husband next to me in God's kingdom. Look, I know people are probably trying to lynch me when I say this, but Bishop Usher, God bless him, wasn't inspired by the Lord when he said it all took 6,000 years. It just didn't and you go back in time you've got radiocarbon dating you've got all these things and you've got the the the, the carcasses of dinosaurs frozen in time out in the Dakotas. you know they they got Sue, that big uh, um, what was it no, the the fierce one i'm sorry Is it a tyrannosaurus yeah it's a tyrannosaurus the rex and and uh, Uh, I don't know if this one had a a female name like Susie or something, but anyhow, they're out there. And so there was a time that these giant reptiles were on the earth, and it was before the time of the Bible. So don't try to cover it up and make like everything was 6,000 years, but that's not the Bible. That's Bishop Usher. And uh, so if you fight Reveal science, you're going to lose your children. And I I
0: believe in telling them the way it was. You can just imagine how excited we were about that particular answer. Because if you don't teach your kids reveal science, you're going to lose your kids. And by reveal science, he means the millions of years in evolution. Because after all, you need to teach your kids obvious things like dinosaurs existed before the time of the Bible. Hmm. See, I've got this history book that comes to me from the perfect historian, the one who's always been there, who wouldn't tell me a lie, who in certain cases was the only one there when certain events occurred. And it, this history book starts in a really amazing place. You know where it starts? In the beginning. What existed before the time of the Bible? Nothing. Not, God did, but nothing, if nothing. There's no physical world. Before the time of the Bible, nothing existed. So I guess Pat Robertson wants you to believe that the dinosaurs are just floating around in nothing. My Bible starts in the beginning. But his advice is you've got to teach your kids, reveal science or you're going to lose your kids. Pat Robertson is 100% wrong. Of how I became an atheist. I was born
1: into a Christian family and indoctrinated as uh, growing up as a kid. That next year was freshman year of high school. And I started learning about evolution in my biology class. Then uh, that's where I realized I had never seriously questioned or thought about my religious beliefs. So as I learned about evolution and just started thinking philosophically about it, I realized that there couldn't be a God. So I became an atheist.
0: What happened to this young man? He got taught reveal science. After all, he was exposed to a philosophy to explain how we got here without God. Why wouldn't he turn away from God? See, you hear, you hear him say the word, I, was indo- I grew up in a Christian home and I was indoctrinated. Did you hear the word indoctrinated when he first you know, started talking? The first time I saw this group, I went, that's a little bit harsh. But as I got to thinking about it, that's exactly what happened. He grew up in a home, you know what he was told? The Bible says it, just believe it. Bible says it, just believe it. Bible says it, just believe it. And folks, the Bible says it, I believe it. Don't get me wrong. But you know when you tell a 14-year-old kid, the Bible says it, just believe it, sometimes they have an annoying response. That response is what? Why? That's a very good question. Discipling, raising children, it's when you answer the question why. The Bible says it just believe without answering the why, that's indoctrination. He wasn't given any answers. Then he goes out into the world and hears a whole new view of, a new concept of origins. And guess what? The world is really good at teaching apologetics. They're good at giving answers to support their worldview. Now, we would give other answers to counter the answers they would give, but nonetheless, this kid was given no answers. He's taught reveal science. He walks away. That's only logical. But think about this. When young people come to church, and again, I don't mean specifically this church, I mean church in the global sense. When young people come to church, by and large, what are they taught? They're taught Bible stories. Jesus fed the 5,000, Paul's missionary journeys. They're taught Bible stories. Is that Noah's Ark? You got a 50-50 chance. Is that Noah's Ark? Actually, it is. The reason I know that, the giraffes are sticking out the top. That's the absolute identification factor you can count on. If the giraffes aren't sticking out the top, it's not Noah's Ark. And the reason I know that is not from Scripture. The reason I know that is because all the churches I've spoken in. I can't count the number of times when I've come in like on a Saturday you know, I'm setting up for the conference and I'm, they're showing me around the church and they take me to the kids' areas. What do I see in the kids' areas? The overstuffed houseboat with a giraffe sticking out the top and the monkey on the porthole and the guy with the long white beard and the butterfly net. Oh, isn't it cute? There's not a four-year-old in the world does not know that's a cartoon. And when you tell them that's in the Bible, you just told them the Bible's not trustworthy. That is not funny. That's a joke. But guess what? If we're really lucky, you know, we get a little Johnny one hour a week. We get him on Sunday morning a really dedicated family we get him every other Wednesday for some soccer practice see we give him his juice and cookies and he comes to Sunday school and we're going to whip some Bible knowledge on him he said, okay little Johnny you, you got your juice and your, and, your, and, your, and your donut and everything's good he says okay give me some Bible knowledge he says okay here's some Bible knowledge how about Noah's Ark the overstuffed house boat with the draft sticking out the top and the long white beard and the butterfly net and the monkey on the porthole and he goes great thank you very much miss Sunday school teacher for the Bible knowledge I'll see you next week so where's Johnny go the rest of the week out into the world where does he get attacked Everywhere books teachers friends movies videos everywhere. He just gets attacked. He gets attacked. Hey, look Johnny All those animals couldn't fit on the ark I had a PhD astrophysicist a couple of years ago. Decided to take the weekend off just to come to my conference and annoyed me. And he did a really good job. But after every talk, he came up and told me what a big boob I was and my degree wasn't real. He actually told me my medical license should be taken away because I didn't accept evolution. True, that's exactly what the guy told me. But the thing that just set him off more than anything else, he says, Tommy, I can't believe you've studied biology and you see all these millions of kinds of creatures you know, in the world. You've got to do millions and millions of creatures. You know, there's no way you get millions of animals on Noah's Ark. Now, what's our response to that, by the way? We agree. What do you mean you agree? It means, means we agree. Ruined that man's whole weekend. You don't need millions of animals. You need what? You need two of every kind, seven of some. Probably in our, in our research for our ark encounter project, what we're finding out is probably only by, maybe 3,000 to 4,000 animals total. I mean, how many uh, dogs would have been on Noah's ark? Two. How many turtles would have been on Noah's ark? How many cats would have been on Noah's Ark? I know the answer to that. Too many. And that's free. If I'd been on Noah's Ark, there would be no cats. And, I, and when I get to heaven, I've got a list of questions I'm going to ask. One of the questions I'm going to ask God when I get there is, you called your creation very good. How could it have been cats there? I don't get it. But nonetheless, you know, you, how are you going to get those animals on the ark? Those rock layers laid down for millions of years. A global flood being be impossible. Noah's flood's a myth. Where'd all that water come from? Hey, little Johnny, your Bible's not true. Well, next week, little Johnny goes to Sunday school. We give him his juice and his cookies. And, and it's, it, it's safe to say he's had a tough week. I mean, he just, you know, lots of questions. He wouldn't have to answer. And, and you know, little Johnny's he's, he's dragging. He just, he's not, he's not, not with the program here. And he says, okay, we're going to give you your, your Bible lesson this week. And he says, excuse me, Miss Sunday school teacher, but I, I, I hate to bring this up. About 37 things came up through this week. You think you can help me with some of these answers? And we don't answer his questions. We do what? We teach him another Bible story. It's time about the big fish. And then you know what we tell him? We tell him just trust in Jesus. Little Johnny's going to grow up. You know what he's going to realize? Nobody ever answered any of my questions. I'm out of here. Is that happening in our churches? Every single day. You know what the problem is? The church no longer has understanding of the times. But at the same time, where's little Johnny going to learn real things? You know, geology, chemistry, you know, anthropology. Where's little Johnny going to learn real things? school 93% of children in churches around the country go to public school if you homeschool Christian school or private school and think you're safe you are so mistaken you should see some of the curriculum that's out there and some of the curriculum is coming but see little Johnny didn't go to go to, go to go to school and learn real science like this 14 and a half billion years ago nothing exploded I'm going to give out a minute to sink in First there was nothing, then it exploded. I don't care who you are, folks. That's deep. Now, what's going to happen about 8 o'clock tonight, you're going to go, wow, I got it. First there was nothing, then it exploded. That's called science. Don't laugh. That's what they believe. First of all, thermodynamics says this. Matter and energy can either be created or destroyed. it only be changed one form to the other. Simple interpretation, you can't get something from nothing. And the, and the evolutionists the materialists say the physical laws of the universe are how we understand how matter operates. So that's what governs our ideas. So these laws are inviolable, except in the beginning. You know, you can't get something from nothing except in the beginning. It's like the biology books say life only comes from life. You know, life doesn't come from non-life, except in the beginning. See, they have to violate their own worldview to make their worldview work. Folks, I have no problem understanding exactly where matter came from because I have a personal relationship with the only one who can create from nothing. This presents absolutely no problem for me or little Johnny learned another thing this is one of my favorites you know we evolved from ape like creatures over the last three to five million years i mean has anybody not seen an illustration like this at some point in their life i mean this is one of the most common illustrations in our society what it's teaching us is that we evolved you know from knuckle dressing you know we're sort of knuckle dragging then semi-upright then my mother-in-law then fully human and that's how we got here how much fossil evidence is there to support this none what does none mean what does zero mean? It means absence of something. See, back when I was young, Cro-Magnon man was considered the missing link. Well, they had to give up on Cro-Magnon man. If it turned out that was human. Then Neanderthal was the missing link. Well, had to give up on Neanderthal. Yep. You think they're out of bullets? They got one left. They got they got one fossil left. They're hanging on to death. Or they're hanging on to who? Lucy. This is our great 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 great. great. I'll be through in about an hour. Great 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 great. She's really old. Okay, <laughs> folks. That's an ape. It's always been an ape. It's an ape now. It's always going to be an ape. Was, is going to be an ape. That's an ape. That's an ape. That's an ape. ape. And I do have a paper in my uh, files at home from a secular paleontology group who says that may not be Lucy. It may be Larry. You can't make this stuff up. But see, they found that and they made that. And if that's true, this is true. And ladies, guess what? If that's true, this is true. We're just an animal. And I've got a question for you. If that's true, why did Jesus go to the cross? Think it Think it through. Think it through logically. If we're just animals. I mean, we've told our kids for decades, you're the product of evolution. You're just an animal. You're just an animal. You're just an animal. You're just an animal. And now we complain when our kids act like animals. There's a disconnect. We're not just animals. We're made in the image of the living God. So Tommy, let me get it. Are you sort of suggesting we need to teach biology and geology and chemistry and astronomy in church? Is that what you're suggesting? Actually, no. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm saying it directly. Either we're like the children of Issachar, men who have understanding of the times. We need to equip our children to have sound biblical, scientific answers to the questions of the age, or we turn our kids over to the world to be educated. And if we do that, whose fault is it? It's our fault. I got this amazing idea. Let's get a little Johnny in Sunday school and let's teach him, say, about Noah's Ark. But let's start from a really strange place. Say the Bible. How about 503 feet long, 80 feet wide, 53 feet high? Folks, ain't no giraffe going to stick out the top of that boat. This is a fairy tale. Let's quit using it. But once we start with the Word of God, we can really deal with some amazing issues. Like, how do you start off with two dogs and get all those dogs? I got an answer to that. Where would all that water come from? I got an answer You see those rock layers? They're obviously millions of years old. Only thing that's obvious is they're rock layers. You know all I need to get those rock layers? is a whole lot of water and a little bit of time. Can you think of an event in history associated with a whole lot of water and a little bit of time? How about the flood, the great fountains, the deep breaking open, the worst cataclysm the world's ever seen, sedimentation on a global cataclysmic catastrophic scale. Give me the history and the word of God in a few months, I'll get you all the rock layers you can stand. How about billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth? The vast majority of the fossil record, the flood gives you the answer. I even have answers about dinosaurs. Folks, what we need to do is equip our young people to have sound biblical scientific answers. We need to teach them the right foundation because Genesis 1 to 11 gives us the true history of the world. It gives us the geologic, anthropologic, you know, astronomical history of the world because Genesis 1 to 11 is true historical narrative. It's the foundation of the history. It's the foundation of our Christian doctrine we equip equipped little a giant to have answers. He's going to go out in the world and be attacked, but he's going to have sound, logical defense of his faith. He's going to be equipped to have answers to the questions of the age. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to pass that on to the next generation, the next generation, and the next. And, folks, this is not an option. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear as much as we're able to as fallible human beings equip ourselves to have a sound logical defense of the faith equip our children our children's children our nieces our nephews the neighbor's kids to have sound logical defense of the questions of the age the thing that the culture the society is throwing at us because the culture and the society says the Bible is a book of myths fables fairy tales what I'm going to tell you it's the inspired inerrant infallible word of the living God and we need to have answers this conference is just the tip of the iceberg. You're going to get some answers here, but I've been doing creation ministry for 30 years, and there are just lots and lots of things I still don't have answers to. I mean, you know, things that we're researching, we're trying to build models where we don't really have enough information, trying to try to understand these things. Go to our website, www.answersingenesis.org. It's the largest creation apologetics website in the world. It's over 10,000 articles on this website. Go to the search engine and type in Charles Darwin or Noah's Ark or Carbon 14 or T-Rex or dinosaurs or natural selection We're going to give you lots of answers. Answers Magazine is like any other magazine in the world. It is not a magazine about creation and evolution. It's a magazine about biblical worldview. How to better understand what we as Christians believe. How to better defend yourself, defend your faith in an ever-hostile culture, ever-hostile society. It comes out quarterly. It's a wonderful resource. Each issue has a pull-out children's section in it designed to help us equip the youngest among us to defend their faith in the earliest age. And here at the conference, we do have a conference special. For every year you subscribe, we'll give you a free DVD. You subscribe for one year, we'll give you one free DVD. You subscribe for three years, we'll give you three free DVDs. It is not often people will openly bribe you to subscribe to their magazine. That's exactly what we're going to do, because I promise you'll find it a blessing. Our Answers Book Series, Answers Books One, Two, Three, and 4, and these four volumes, over 120 of the most asked questions about creation and evolution with sound, biblical, scientific answers. Folks, I promise you, if you take a stand for Jesus Christ in this culture, you're going to get these questions. I used to get them almost every day from my patients. You know, where'd Cain get his wife? Where'd the water from Flood come from? How do? You, what about the dinosaurs? Where the dinosaurs in the ark? What about distant starlight? The questions that we get everywhere we go. These are the most common questions that I get. No matter what church, what conference, what setting I'm in, these are answers you need. Tommy, why is this important? What's this whole issue about creation apologetics? Ken Ham's book, The Lie was instrumental over 20 years ago in really getting me focused on this issue. What's this about? What's the whole uh, concept of Creation Apologetics? We tell people this book, The Lie is really the textbook of our ministry. It's a wonderful resource. If you've really got questions about Creation Apologetics, this is a resource you need. Answers Books for Teens 1 and 2, these are questions we've actually gotten from teenagers at our teen conferences written specifically for that age group. Our Answers Books Set for Kids Volumes 1 through 6, these are for the ages 4 through 10. Parents and grandparents, you ever notice how sometimes the littlest kids ask the toughest theologic questions? Boy, my wife and I tap danced around a lot of issues when I was in. I'll be open with you. I hate these books. Because my kids are grown. Where was Ken Ham when I needed him 20 years ago? Boy, my wife and I tap danced around some really tough, sticky questions. One or two paragraphs sound biblical scientific answers to those tough questions our little kids ask. Parents and grandparents, you need to get this set of books. Go through them yourself. Then sit down with your kids and grandkids and let's start equipping them from the earliest age. The book already gone, I mentioned earlier, lots of resources for kids, particularly involving dinosaurs. The most common question we get in our ministry these days is, Hey, Christian, if your God's a God of love, why is there so much death and suffering in the world? In mean, my DVD, A God of Suffering, we deal with that. You know where that answer starts? You're going to be shocked. It starts in Genesis. If you missed the Bill and I Ken Ham debate, it was a really interesting evening. Um, if you want to ask me some questions about Bill and I, see me at the, uh, during the break. But like I said, make sure I've taken my blood pressure medicine because it was a really interesting evening. So if, if you missed the debate, we do have the debate DVDs. And here at the conference, we have what we call our YouTube special. I did not come here to sell you books. I, I could care less about that. I came here to equip you, and we want to do that in the most economical fashion we can, so we've developed what we call our "You Choose" special. The more items you get, the bigger discount we're going to give you because we want you to be able to build your own creation library in your home or your homeschool group or church library, whatever it may be, and the more items you get, the bigger discount we're going to give you. The last uh, uh, resource I'll mention is the Foundation's Curriculum Kit. It's a six-DVD set by Ken Ham broken into 12 lectures. It's a complete creation apologetic seminar in one box. It has a teacher's guide a student guide it's been used for individual study homeschool group study discipleship classes new member classes uh, it's been used in any, any number of different venues it's been very well received and people really seem to like it I think it'll be an encouragement to you destroy my confidence in the Bible has an historical record you destroy my confidence in it altogether. for by far the largest part of the Bible is historical record you must believe the whole of Holy Scripture or with the narrow-minded infidel you must disbelieve the whole there is no middle course open to you He who surrenders the first page of his Bible surrenders all. And with that, we'll conclude. Thanks.